Greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ from the Conservative Congregational Christian Conference. I'm Terry Shanahan, Northeast Regional Pastor. So happy to be with you here today. We, Carlisle and I worshiped here a couple months ago with you folks and so glad to be invited back and fill the puppet where Pastor Jonathan is, is away. Uh, I cover the whole Northeast, so it's uh, all of New England states plus part of New York state and there's 120 churches that I get to go visit, all different size churches, all different types of worship, but we all have the one thing in common. We all worship the Lord uh, Jesus Christ, and we keep the main thing uh, the main thing, and we get to come and worship the Lord in spirit and in truth at every church that uh, I go to, and I've been trying to uh, myself try to acknowledge the Lord, not, not just in our worship time, but in my life uh, 24-7. Um, as he pours into me and I try to pour into others and be a blessing to others. And uh, one way i found to do that is uh, someone will come up and ask you, uh, how are you? And you usually say, uh, fine or, or good. Um, one of my pastors recently told me that fine actually stands for feelings I'm not expressing. So we, we say that to folks and... and uh, and they may be just be asking to be polite. They may not have, want to have a whole litany of things that are going on with you. Uh, but we say, we say fine even when it's a, a total lie sometimes. So I found a way to be truthful. And uh, when anybody asks me now, how are you? I can always say, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And that can start a conversation with some folks. I'm, I'm grateful. Even on my worst day, I can be grateful for what God has done you know, in my life. And even uh, some days I'm just grateful. Uh, I don't want to be on this side of the grass. I'm grateful for that a lot of days, uh, these days. Uh, sometimes you're grateful for a roof over your head. Sometimes you're grateful for, for food in, on the table. But even if we have none of those things, we're grateful uh, to a God that knows us and loves about us, cares about our, our very being. So try that sometime. I'd start an interesting conversation with somebody. Someone says, how are you? And you say, I'm, I'm grateful. And then, uh, but you might want to be ready to say why you're uh, grateful. Good start a conversation. Uh, so glad to be uh, here today. I wish, uh, actually, I kind of wish I'd seen that uh, video before I did my sermon because I learned an awful lot in just a couple of minutes there. It's, uh, really good stuff. I think more of our churches should be doing this very uh, thing. But today's lesson is about God's covenant with the patriarch Abram. Uh, Abraham, as we probably have come to know him, but at the time his name was Abram. And today's lesson also reveals Abram's faith being credited to him as righteousness. And we're going to visit that a little later in a sermon and, and the importance of that. Uh, now back when Abram was about... 75 years old, God initially called him to leave his home and his extended family to go to the land that God would show him. And Abraham, Abram did just as uh, God commanded at that time. And we often have that uh, saying that uh, Abram was going and not knowing. And uh, I'm reminded of a camping trip we took like that one time when we were going not knowing, we, camped, we packed up all our belongings in our pop-up camper and headed out west uh, to see all the, the national parks. But we didn't make any reservation. We just went as uh, we felt the, the Lord uh, led. And uh, 
It didn't get shut out of too many campgrounds, but we had this saying right underneath, uh, right underneath our visor. We'd pull it down every time we'd get a little bit lost, and we'd say, going not knowing and thinking of Abram as we did so. Um, Abram was obedient to God when he took that call. And he also went because God had made him a promise that he would father uh, a great nation. It was quite an amazing promise, uh, considering that Abram and his wife Sarah were senior citizens when God first issued the call, and they had no children. But this was the promise. God promised Abram to be a father of a, of a mighty nation. When we come to today's lesson, now many years have passed since that original calling in Abram's life, and Sarai is still without child, and she's of that advanced age, of course, well past her childbearing years. Children? Really? If she had a child at this age, how would she ever have the energy to keep up with it? What hope could it possibly be that God would ever grant Abram and Sarai their deepest and most significant dream, that of parenthood? And Abram was troubled, as you notice in the beginning of the scripture. He let God know it, that he was here he is, fearing he's at near the end of his life and he's going to be having to leave all his possessions to this servant person that he mentions there. And um, we know that Abram was always obedient, but he wasn't, always, he wasn't a perfect man, as, as the video showed us. That um, He tried to do what God wanted him to do, but he was also uh, human and, and a, a sinner. And but now he was no longer young. He was troubled. He and his wife, Sarah, had no heirs. When he was younger, Abram had obeyed what he believed to be God's leading, and God had prospered him in that. And he went where God called him to go. And with that going, he understood that he was going to be the father of a great nation. That was now in today's lesson, that was some time ago. Abram had prospered. God had kept his promise to Abram every area except that one. And now how could he father a people when his wife Sarah was old and barren? And with tired eyes, Abram looked into the future. And the future didn't look all that promising. But it was a little late to change his course now. Can any of you understand what Abram might be feeling? There are many people today who look into the future and the future looks unpromising, just as it did to Abram. And let's be candid about it. Life has many heartaches, many dark and terrifying moments. There's many unfulfilled dreams. There's illness, there's financial loss, there's estrangements, there's job troubles, there's death. Things that we can face at any time. Some people wonder if they're destined to live their life with, with no hope. I'm sure most of us have been there at one time or another. And sure, you believe in God, sure you know that, that miracles occur. 
but you also know the realities of your situation. And you know that better people than you have been in difficult situations and and found no relief. And surely part of Abram's discomfort at this time was the realization of his own mortality. We don't know how Abram felt about death. All we know is that he looked into the future and he was troubled by what he saw because he had no heir. All that he had worked for would would soon be lost, or so he thought. Even more important, God had let him down, or so he thought. And he'd be promised, he'd been promised an heir, but it seemed clear that he might not have one. And then God gave Abram a vision. God came to Abram to affirm the promise that he had made to him years ago that he would father a great nation. God said, look toward heaven. Count the stars if you're able to count them. Then God said, so shall your descendants be. It's quite a promise to a man of Abram's age. Here he was, that old man, he didn't even have a child, and God was promising that his descendants would be as, as numerous as the stars in heaven. You would have to guess that Abram would be thinking to himself, really, God? But actually, that's not what uh, Abram was thinking to himself at all. Even though he was nearing probably 100 years old and his wife Sarah was nearly 90, when God told Abram his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the heavens, Abram believed God. Now that's faith. Abram believed God. And such faith says a lot about the kind of man that Abram was. But it says more about the kind of God that we have. Why is it that some people can maintain a hopeful attitude in the face of a dark situation? While others confronted with the same situation see only reasons for despair. And the reason, I think, has to be faith or the lack thereof. Faith in a God where all things are possible, even fathering a great nation. John Ortberg, uh, Ortberg has written a book. title is, If You Want to Walk on Water... You've got to get out of the boat. I like the title alone. (laughs) In this book, he tells about that remarkable woman, Henrietta Mears. And Henrietta Mears taught college-age people for decades at uh, Hollywood Presbyterian Church. She was a formative influence in the life of a whole generation of Christian leaders, including Billy Graham, Campus Crusade founder Bill Bright, former Senate chaplain Richard Alverson, and on and on. And Henrietta was frustrated at not being able to give her students some first-rate materials to educate them. So she began a little publishing enterprise out of her garage. It grew into Gospel Light Publishers. It's a major Christian publisher. 
She was also frustrated because she knew so many Christians living in crowded Los Angeles who needed some place to withdraw and, and to be with God outdoors where they commune with him better. So she drove up into the San Gabriel Mountains and found the perfect location and she talked to God about how much a retreat center was, was needed for these folks in the city. Then she talked to the man who owned the property and although he hadn't been inclined to sell it in any, at all, uh, the poor guy didn't have a prayer. That land grew into Forest Home, one of the premier spiritual conference centers in the country. <coughs> then Henrietta Mears was frustrated by not having a good single volume introduction to the Bible that could help her students understand what it was all about. And so she wrote one herself, what the Bible was all about, Bible handbook. That son sold hundreds of thousands of copies, continues to sell today, decades after her death. Well, she did all these things and more despite doing them in a day when many people thought a woman had no business doing some of those things. And time and time again, she took giant leaps of faith. And time and time again, her ministry succeeded. Well, at the end of her remarkable life, as she lay on her deathbed, someone asked her, Miss Mears, um, if you had it all to do over again, would you do anything differently? She thought for a moment, then she replied, Yeah, if, if I had to do all over again, I would trust God more. <laughs> if I had to do all over again, I would trust God more. Here was a woman who had trusted God for so much. And yet, if she could do one thing differently, she would trust God more. So you kind of wonder, at the end of his life, Abram would not have maybe said the same thing. Because he had done some foolish things in his life, as most of you know, and some of that was mentioned on the video. He passed his wife off as his sister. He fathered a son by a servant girl. Just to mention a few things that would show some lack of faith or backsliding. And both of these embarrassments occurred because he did not trust God enough. But then we read today's passage. When it comes to crunch time, when he thought possibly that his life was nearing its end, He believed God that he would still father a nation. Abram believed God. And the writers of Genesis in verse 6, which you have memorized today, says the Lord credited to him as righteousness. The Lord credited to him as righteousness. That's a real revelation. Because right here in the Old Testament, the first book of the Bible is a verse that is the foundation of the theology of the New Testament. You see, in the Hebrew faith, salvation came 
Or so they thought through good works, and only people who did right in the eyes of the Lord would expect to be rewarded. And they worked hard at, at keeping the law in order to earn heaven. Law was big in their life. But God took Abram out and showed him the stars. Look toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to count them. So shall your descendants be. An amazing promise to make to two senior citizens with no children. But think of it. Literally millions of millions trace their heritage back to an elderly man who, who trusted God. Part of the message has to, has to be to us to not give up. Because God keeps his promises. Whether we do or not, God keeps his promises. God promised Abram that he would father a great people. That's exactly what he did. Isn't it thrilling when someone is given a great vision from God, as was Abram, and it comes to pass, just as God promised. The writer of Genesis says, because Abram believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Believing God was, was more important than keeping the law. It really has a familiar ring to it for us. Similar to we are saved by faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. I think it's amazing right here in the first book of the Bible, believe in God. It'll be counted to you as righteousness. And I have to wonder how many of us believe God? This may be why so many people have a sour attitude toward life. We believe in a God, but do we believe God? We believe that God exists, but we don't really trust that God is aware that when a sparrow falls to the earth and that we are of infinite more value than a sparrow. We believe God exists, but we do not trust that God will always ensure that we're not tested beyond our ability to endure. And we believe there is a God, but we're not just sure about Christ's promise that it is my Father's house, there are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you, and that where I, that you may be where I am also. People are in despair. They really do not believe God. But Abram trusted God, even though he had doubts at times. Just as all of us have doubts at times. Abram had a trust in God, and that faith was credited to him as righteousness. We often think that things are different with heroes of the Bible. We say they live much simpler lives. God was much more real to them than to us. That's not really true. God is real. And he's real to us. And he keeps his covenant with us. I found it kind of interesting what happens next in the story. Abraham... <clears throat> 
says something you or I would, would say. And he asked God, uh, well, how can I know that all this will come to pass? He's like, from Missouri, the show me state. How am I going to know? And God tells Abram to perform a ritual that was common in the culture when making a covenant. And as instructed, Abram gathered the animals that the Lord prescribed for him to gather. But you can notice that Abram never asked God why he should gather animals, nor what he should do with them after he got them. That's not there in the Bible. Because Abram knew what to do. Because historians will tell us that in that culture, covenants were sealed in blood. Abram knew to cut the animals in two and arrange the halves opposite each other. And then we read as God came through there as a smoking pot and a fiery torch. God walked through that stream of blood between the slaughtered animals. And the meaning was clear for anyone making such a covenant. May the same be done to me as was done to these animals if I in any way break my covenant with you. God sealed his covenant with Abram in blood, saying, may this be done to me. If I don't keep my word, you will father a great nation. <clears throat> then the writer tells us in our scripture that as the sun was going down, a, a, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and a deep and terrifying darkness uh, descended upon him. And this was Abram's crisis of faith. Abram had just had an encounter with the holy God of the universe, who entered into a covenant relationship with him. God's covenant didn't depend on what Abram or his descendants might do. God's covenant was all about what God would do on Abram's behalf. Now, your pastor Jonathan, he's recently gotten out of Gordon-Conwell Seminary. He'd tell you all about covenants about now. And he could go on probably, I bet, for 15 or 20 minutes about all the covenants in the Bible. But there is a thing called a unilateral covenant and a bilateral covenant. This is a unilateral covenant from God directly to us. Um, it's not dependent on what someone else would do. It's dependent on what God would do. A bilateral covenant would be a covenant, well, if you do this, I'll do that. It's kind of a quid pro quo or tit for tat. This is a unilateral covenant. Covenant. Um, ask your pastor all about it when he gets back. See what he said. He's probably got it right up here. He just got out of seminary. <laughs> uh, very much like the prophet Isaiah, I would think. Abram was becoming undone at this point when this darkness comes over him. He's, he's realized that this is a God of universe making a covenant with me. And he's in the presence of the Almighty. He'd have that feeling, woe, woe is me. I'm undone. As Abram has met with a deep and a terrifying reality, knowing his, knowing his own humanness, knowing the kind of things he's done in the past, knowing his inability to keep his own promises 
to a holy God from time to time. Knowing his unworthiness. The seriousness of having a personal relationship with God has just dawned on Abram. He realizes that the God of the universe is acting on his behalf. Have you gotten to that place in your life? Like Abraham, where you realize that God has acted on your behalf? Whereby absolute faith, as terrifying as it may be, you believe God. And you believe God's covenant with us sealed in his son's blood. Abram believed God. And Abram discovered that God keeps his promises. And as in the old age, Abram's wife Sarah does bear him a son, and his descendants are like the stars in the sky. Both biological descendants, spiritual descendants trace their history back to Abram, who we know as Abraham. God fulfilled God's promise to Abram. Though Abram had his times of backsliding, Ultimately, he took the promises of God seriously, and he was rewarded for his faith. It's wonderful to encounter somebody who takes God seriously and who believes God's promises. Abram believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Friends, I don't know what your greatest need is today. But it has to be that we believe God's covenant with us. So whatever your discouragement, whatever the test of your faith, don't give up. Because God's timetable is not our timetable. It does not mean that he doesn't hear. It doesn't mean that he'll not answer. You just need to trust him. It can be said of many people who lay on their deathbed. What one thing could I have done differently? I could have trusted God more. God has made a covenant with us sealed in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. All we have to do is believe. Let me close in prayer. Oh, dear God, unlike us, when you make a promise, you, you never break it. You made a covenant with us, Lord. We can believe you and our belief, our faith, not our works, will be counted as righteousness. Thank you, Lord, for the lesson this day from that giant of the faith, Abram. A lesson that points directly to God's covenant with us and his son Jesus. That by faith we'll be saved. Not by works, lest any man should boast. We believe as Abram believed in the one true God who keeps his covenant with us. And Lord, as we come to our time of offering. 
It's our opportunity to give of ourselves. We're reminded, Lord, at this time that uh, you, not us, are the owner of all. We're reminded, Lord, that uh, we're merely stewards of what you have given us. And we're reminded, Lord, that we've been blessed so that we can be a, a blessing. So as we come to a time of giving of our treasure, Lord, that we'll do it uh, not uh, out of compulsion, not out of uh, uh, any uh, prompting, but out of a joy that we have to give back uh, to you a portion that would uh, bring joy to us because we know that that would be used to advance your kingdom, that other people could hear of a covenant that you made with Abram, the covenant you made with us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.